0: Hello and welcome to another episode of That Sports Guy's podcast. I am Craig Forrestal. I am That Sports Guy. Go ahead and find me on Twitter at that underscore sports underscore guy, where you can find all of my latest football takes. Also, nfldraftdiamonds.com is proud to feature the That Sports Guy podcast on its website. Stop by nfldraftdiamonds.com, your official draft coverage king. Hello, what's going on, everyone? Craig Forstall, at that underscore sports underscore guy. Going to go over some intriguing offensive prospects coming up in the 2021 draft. And I am more than lucky to, uh, tonight to be on a podcast with Jack Borowski at the Gridiron underscore NFL on Twitter. Catches two podcasts inside the Gridiron, inside the NFL prospects. Inside the NFL prospects is one of my favorites. Jack, Welcome.
1: Yeah no, I'm happy to be there. I know we were talking about it beforehand that idea of you interact on Twitter, have share ideas and then putting a, like a voice to the, to the name is pretty interesting and cool.
0: Yeah no, definitely, absolutely. And like I said, I'm more than lucky to have Jack on here today. We're going to go through some of our uh prospects of interest as we approach the upcoming college football season Uh, so we're going to go through offensively we're going to name a quarterback a running back wide receiver tight end offensive lineman and then we're going to leave you guys with a sleeper or a player to remember throughout the season so i'll go ahead and i will kick things off jack and i'm going to kick it off at the quarterback position and i'm sure you can guess where i'm going to go for my quarterback if you want you want to go out there you want to spoil it for everyone
1: I'm going to go Dustin Crum. Did I get it right?
0: <laughs> you are absolutely correct. Um, Jack is uh, the, with the correct answer right there. I am driving the Dustin Crum hype train right now. He's a 6'3", 201-pound quarterback from Kent State. Really blew up uh, this past season as a junior. First real season as a full-time starter. Uh, was over 2,600 yards passing with 20 touchdowns. Only two interceptions. Uh, the big reason why I like him is coming up in September. If you look at the Kent State schedule, uh, they have Penn State. Uh, excuse me, they have Penn State, Kentucky, and Alabama. So a uh, big chance for him to cement his name in the NFL draft coming up with the quarterback class. Um, Jack, I know that you've asked me a couple questions about Dustin. Um, have you had a chance to do any homework on him or uh, a- anything that's jumped out at you?
1: So actually, funny, I had him on the podcast, I think, what's today, Saturday. So I had him mm-hmm. on last Wednesday. Okay, we, I had reached out to him, and he was someone who isn't huge on social media. I reached out a few months ago, and I know I'd asked you a lot of questions. Mm-hmm. I kept hearing his name come up, and he happened to respond to me a few months later, and I was overjoyed to get him on because he's one of those sleeper guys. I know a lot of people have talked about him really good guy over the phone, just one of those mature quarterbacks that you want where you talk about that position. It's leadership first. And you could tell over the phone he's was like that. Haven't been able to get too in-depth with this film. The only ones that the only film I had was against Arizona State and that was the first mm-hmm. game of the season. So it was kind of tough, but I know there's a ton of intrigue
0: around him. Oh, absolutely. I mean in going into some of like the analytics, more advanced stats. Um, he was third in the nation in deep balls, 20 plus yard throws. Uh, that's according to pro football focus and also produced the lowest turnover worthy rate in all of college football at 0.7%. Now those are all the good things. He's good with the ball, able to get it downfield but he does have a little bit of a long delivery. It takes him a while to get to the release point. So that's why early on in the season with Penn State, Kentucky, and Alabama, I really want to see if he's able to, you know, uh, shorten that up because it's nothing major uh, in the mechanics or anything. It's just a quick little fix, um, seeing if he can get the ball just a little bit quicker, and that's wonderful competition to see, uh, you know, the growth that he made from year one to year two. And also in the bowl game, he squared off against Jordan Love, He was the MVP of that bowl game, uh, edging Utah State, the Kent State uh, Flashes did, and that was their first ever uh, bowl victory in program history. So the sky's the limit for Dustin. He does rely on a lot of play action-based plays. That is a very heavy part of the Kent State playbook. He's good on the run. He's able to move. Um, Something that I thought of with him is a couple years back, Jeff Driscoll, was a fairly athletic quarterback, transferred out of Florida to Louisiana Tech for his senior year, and people really had eyes on him for that senior year to see that growth. Um, I know the stories are different, but I'm wondering if uh, Dustin Crum has a little bit of that Jeff Driscoll senior year, um, you know, ax on his back with NFL teams, uh, just seeing that growth like we've talked about.
1: I I think with Dustin and where I'm at right now is – the idea of Mac football. And when I talk to people around the league, it's more and more, they just don't have that level of talent. I actually have one guy who I'll bring up later in the show who I really like, who I think is the best player in the Mac for this upcoming season. But a major concern that I'm going to have and will have is the idea in conference play, it's not going to be there in terms of NFL talent. And I just can't see him when he goes up. You mentioned the level of caliber teams that he's going to be playing against it, even with his talent it's just going to be one of those situations where like I've seen this a lot in the past and I'm, I'm sure you have too we can even talk about Jordan Love this being the case with him I know a different level but into the season how does he perform against LSU and just With all he lost on the offensive side of the ball coming into the season, there was just no way he was going to perform to the level anyone wanted him to. So I think we'll end up scrapping those games because I just don't see it being a good turnout like against Arizona State where I don't know if he completed the pass, but it looked ugly at times because the level of talent around you – just isn't there in the Mac. But I could see with his running ability, and he mentioned it a lot, how much easier it was for him to adjust, because he wasn't supposed to be the starting quarterback in Kent State's future. He wasn't their guy. He ended up working really hard to get to where 20 touchdowns, two interceptions, I know it's tough to box score scout, but mm-hmm. as a whole, I mean, you don't put up those numbers not being the best quarterback at at, at the Mac level. So I think he's number one there. The only concern I have is teams are starting to move more away from Mac players and level competition. He's going to have to get bigger. He talked about it. He needs to gain 10 to 15 pounds because at 6'3", 201, yeah, the height's there. He's got to get heavier while also being able to be as effective running the ball. But when you talk about a sleeper guy, I, I've, I've evaluated about 30 of them who I think have chances to be sleepers. And he's probably the one guy who I'm like, all right, he has a chance. Like you said, a Jeff Driscoll type where those guys who can run the ball, have solid passing numbers, can find a role at somewhere in the NFL.
0: And it's funny how you you mentioned, because I'm looking here at some of my scouting notes on uh, Dustin Crum and how you said that most likely those games uh, early on will be scrapped. I have right here. Um, I'll read it exactly. He has games against Penn State, Kentucky, and Alabama in September, which will really get the hype train rolling if he can keep the games competitive and limit his costly slash deadly mistakes in those (laughs) games. Um, Because going with that that turnover worthy rate, I I really want to see, you know, like you said, the the box score uh, scouting and all that. But you want to see, with you said like you said, with the, the level of competition being a question, you want to see if some of those metrics, those advanced metrics, really do carry over, like you said, to some really good tests coming up uh, early on in the season. So why don't we flip it on over to you? Who's the quarterback that you got teed up for us?
1: So a guy who I don't think is getting enough hype. He's not... Like I think Dustin Crum might actually be getting more hype than him in the scouting community. I just feel like people haven't watched him enough. Chase Garbers from Cal is my guy who I think has a chance to be one of the top quarterbacks in next year's draft. I I remember first buzz I got from him was Tony Pauline in his summer scouting last year. Came in and had Garbers as a third-round pick. So when I'm sitting there thinking, all right, haven't heard of this guy. He's getting no attention. I know he was a younger player. Watched some of his games and thought, you know what, this guy this is a real talent. He has the accuracy that I think separates himself. So when I evaluated my quarterbacks, I made sure to put him on my list going into 2021. And just a side note, I know people talk about preseason scouting. It's a little too early. You shouldn't be doing it yet. It's going to screw with what you think of when they put on their 2021 tape. I think this is the one year you can't argue with starting early because this might be the only tape we have on a lot of these players because we don't know what's going to happen with the football season. So with Garbers, what I saw on tape was he has some of the best accuracy in this class. I think Tanner Morgan is definitely a little bit higher of a tier in terms of guys who I think have that level of accuracy. I think they're the two main guys when I think of have that accuracy, don't have the arm strength necessarily. So Garbers won't be valued as high in the NFL just because NFL evaluators love big arms. They're going to prefer Jamie Newman because of the arm strength. But I think Garbers, he's when on the field. So Cal quarterback, we've seen Cal have a little bit of success as of recent, and it's because of him. When he's on the field, especially last season, he was undefeated. He's 11-2 and as a starting quarterback. He wins games. I think specifically when you look at a game like Stanford, box score wasn't fantastic. I mean, his games as a whole, he's not going to wow you with 400 passing yards, but he makes NFL throws on a consistent basis. He is a threat or is good enough in the run game. And when I really watched his film, Ole Miss – and Stanford stood out. He can make throws that other quarterbacks can't into tight windows. The only concern I have is the arm strength. But in today's NFL, I'm taking – I know we talk about how good Josh Allen has been as a whole. I never trust guys who have big arms and aren't super accurate, accurate with the football. If you are accurate and you can make enough throws, yes, quarterbacks will be limited. He's not going to be throwing the ball 60 yards down the field on a, on a rope. But I think he can be better than a game manager, which is why I have him as a second-round grade right now. And I'm all aboard the Chase Garber hype train thinking that. I mean, we saw what he did in terms of production last season, when on the field. I mean, this Cal team could be a threat with him at quarterback for next year.
0: Oh, and it's uh, funny you brought up the Ole Miss game because I was going to ask if you had a chance to – Uh, look at any of that because I'm pretty sure he set a career high in passing yards that game. I don't remember exactly what he put up, but I remember he put up a lot of passing yards against Ole Miss. And that was something that uh, really caught my eye just because uh, like you said, Cal quarterbacks, you know, it it could be hit or miss. You could get uh, Aaron Rodgers as the hit, or you could go through and you could look at a couple of their misses. So with Chase Garber's, um, For me, the the big question is, like you said, it's the arm strength. And now I had an interesting conversation with uh, Warren McCarty, who's very well connected uh, in the league with quarterbacks. He's a quarterback specialist, played the position. And he brought something up that said it's not about the arm strength, but it's about being able to make all the throws in your playbook. Because having that strong arm and launching the ball 75 yards in a Hail Mary scenario doesn't happen all that often, but being able to hit that 15 to 20 yard comeback, that's a throw you're going to have to be able to make, you know, and there, there's no way of hiding that skills. Either you have it or you don't. And he brought up the interesting um, scenario with the Denver Broncos and Tim Tebow, however many years ago. And, there were people in the huddle offensively and defensively that knew that the playbook was limited because of his arm and because of what his arm talent was able to do on the field. And so that allows the defense to prepare for you in certain ways. So uh, going off of the arm strength, uh, like you said, he, he is pretty accurate. Um, for me, it's just not necessarily about the arm strength. It's just being able to make all the throws in the playbook, um, I don't necessarily know what type of system he fits into at the next level, but like you pointed out, he is a winner. So there's something to be said for a quarterback that's able just to grind out wins. Um, The Pac-12, say whatever you want about it um, in terms of being on par with the ACC and uh, SEC and Big Ten and some of the other, you know, uh, Power Five conferences, the Big 12, and some of the hate that the Pac-12 gets Um, But I think that he's battle-tested week in and week out, and if he's putting up the solid numbers, you have to look to recent success within the conference, and you need to look at someone like Gardner Minshew, who translated very well into the NFL. So that's me. I think that he faces NFL-caliber athletes on a weekly basis, um, but I haven't done thoroughly enough homework on him to put a round two grade on him or anything like that.
1: No, with Garvers, and I I love that you mentioned – that idea of the actual arm strike. In, in my grading system, I don't have the arm strike necessarily. Can he throw the ball 60 yards downfield? It's more velocity. Can he get a 20? Can he cr- like drop back in the pocket, drive the ball 20, 25 yards down the field? Because if he can't, he'll be limited. I think we see that sometimes with quarterbacks. There's different degrees. Some guys don't have that level of arm strength. Like, I think Joe Burrow, who's the first pick in the draft. I mean, arm strength, mm-hmm. I'd take Justin Herbert if I needed a Hail Mary for 80 yards. But if you need a 30 yard downfield back shoulder pass, it's going to be Burrow. He can make all the plays. It's just, there were times on Burroughs' film even, too, where he didn't trust his arm when there might have been, because I've been watching the receivers in depth with Jamar Chase and Terrace Marshall for next mm-hmm. year, and there are times where I can tell he doesn't trust his arm to make necessarily a play that Herbert can, but he'll take the 8-10 to 10 yard slant and throw an accurate pass 10 out of 10 times, and I value that more than just a guy who has a strong arm. So I'm glad you brought up the point, the difference between that idea all right, can he throw a Hail Mary pass or can he do everything in the offense? I think Garbers can. He's, he's, there will be times where he doesn't make a pass because of that level of arm strength, but 90, 95% of the time he can, which is why I, I can't put him in the same lane as Trey Lance, Justin Fields or Trevor Lawrence, but he's in that tier two of guys for me right now.
0: Oh, definitely. And, you know quarterbacks what they spend a lot of time doing is they spend a lot of time figuring out how to get the ball to their playmakers and some of those playmakers are running backs and the running back that I actually came up with to pay attention to was a surprise player that came back to school I actually thought Kylan Hill Mississippi State was going to actually enter the 2020 draft um and now with Hill I'm really curious to see how he fits into the Mike Leach offense. He does have some receptions on his career at Mississippi State, but it's not a focal point of his game. Um, So it'll be interesting to see how he's used in the Mike Leach offense as a pass catcher um, because I think that he does have starting level talent at the NFL level, but he needs to improve that receiving ability. So I think with Mike Leach being there, it would be a really good chance – for him to uh, show off some of those pass-catching skills if you look at what some of the other running backs that Mike Leach's offense have done. But with Hill, if I were going to uh, talk about his film from last year, he showed really good power and quickness, but there were times where he just struggled to find running lanes. Um, And, and so that's just uh, the film with him and where you have to, to look. But he was able to go for over 1,300 yards. Uh, like I said, I'm surprised he's sub- – came back to school, I would describe him as a slasher type of runner that would ideally like to get on the outside to create one-on-one scenarios uh, with the defenders. Um, Doesn't shy away from contact. I see him as a day-two player um, right now, but I think a lot's going to depend on how he fits into this Mike Leach offense.
1: I'm I'm interested as well because we didn't talk about him with quarterbacks, but someone who I really liked last year, Going into last year, I will say, because last year's tape was brutal with KJ Costello and how he is able to ascend. because I think a lot of people think he'll be able to because of what we've seen with Anthony Gordon, though he went undrafted. He wasn't really on too many people's radars and then Minshew's success. So I think that's a good one for running backs. For me, um, just watching film specifically, I haven't gone so in-depth with the running backs, but Keontae Ingram from Texas is a guy who I love. Just based on pure tape, his breakaway ability, like the way that when I watched him, so I've watched Ellinger, Brennan Eagles, and every single time, and Sam Cosme and their entire offensive line, I watched them. Ingram from Texas, I kept – seeing him on the field and realize this this guy's a real player. Six-foot, 220 pounds. He's going to run in the low four-fives. But I, I just love his production, what he does on the field. He's going to average if they give him because Bijan Robinson, top 20 player in the country, is going to Texas. They got Jordan Whittington. Who knows how they'll use him. So there's a lot of guys in the backfield there. But what he does and the production that he had in limited – Whenever he was on the field, he was producing at such a high rate, and he pops on film. So he's a guy who I think at Texas could be interesting. And I'll throw another guy in there just because I don't know how much production he'll have specifically because who knows what's going to happen and how many running backs they're going to end up using. Dimitri Felton from UCLA is my other guy. And I guess we can all pair him in the sense that um, Dimitri is more of a third down back, essentially a wide receiver playing running back. But what he's able to do out of the backfield, he's someone who if Brady's still playing next year, Tampa should overdraft him by two rounds because this guy <laughs> can catch the football out of the backfield, make big plays. He's going to be able to help in the return game. Really nice guy. I interviewed him a few months ago, and I just feel like he's one of those guys, modern day NFL where we see running backs are a dime a dozen who can just run the football. It's just one of those situations. Guys are out of the league very quickly. It's a lot of turnover. Mm-hmm. But pass catching backs, I mean, we've seen James White continue to be around the game. Shane Vereen back in the day. These Patriots-type guys who are just so effective with quarterbacks who want to get the ball out quick. So
0: those would be my two guys. Um, And with Keontae Ingram – uh. The one thing that I want to look for with him, like you said, was on that, on on that limited work, so to speak, he had seven touchdowns, uh, seven rushing touchdowns. So um, if his role does grow, he flirted with a thousand yards to shy of nine hundred and seven touchdowns. So uh, like you said, if he were to get a full workload, I would really like to see what he's capable of, of doing in that Texas offense. Um, just because, like you said, he he pops on film when he's out there, you can't help but notice him when he when he's taking reps on the film. So let's go ahead and let's keep it moving, real quick. Wide receiver, you want to start this one off? Uh, I'll start with
1: receiver. So, guy who I love is Amin Ross St. Brown from USC, who I don't think is getting enough mm-hmm. attention as a as of this point in time. Because we talk about this next year's receiver class, twenty twenty one. Is going to be, in my opinion, better than 2020. Just in terms of top end talent, it's hard. It would be hard not to when you look at all these receivers we have at the top. And I think the guy that people are forgetting about is Amon Roth St. Brown with a five star coming out of high school. Brother Equinemius was a draft pick by the Green Bay Packers a few years back, hasn't turned into much, but I think Amin Rob plays totally different. His other brother is at Stanford, so he his family. I know they're the crazy football family. I think one thing is I don't I don't believe they stretch because Warriors don't stretch or some something like that. But they're crazy mm-hmm. workout Warriors type of players. And what I loved was his ability to get open from the slot. He was Keaton Slovis's top guy. We talk about Michael Pittman and last in this 2020 draft, he was great. Amin Ra is better. Amin Ra, at his age, as a sophomore, he even produced a lot as a freshman, too. He's an absolute stud. And I think people are forgetting about him because, hey, USC is not playing at normal hours, Pac-12 after dark type of situation. He had gone through a few quarterbacks. I think last year everyone got hurt at some point. He was playing with a lot of new quarterbacks. <laughs> But what he's able to do from the slot, and I think the question will be, can he translate to it outside and be a consistent guy there? Because that will put him in the conversation with the likes of Waddle, Bateman, and Jamar Chase and players like that. Can he do that? But just as a whole from watching his film, I think he has a chance to be. Right now I have him as a high second, but if he's able to do what he did in the slot, I don't know if they'll move him outside because they have a plethora of receivers upcoming but with Slovis playing an entire season and him just being there as a junior and continuing to produce, I don't see how he's not one of the top receivers next year.
0: Oh, I mean, with Michael Pittman now off to the Colts, you know, the the natural thought would be that uh, St. Brown would take on more work. Uh, I know that there have been some sort of, uh, I guess, discussions about, the punt returns with his ability to return punts. Uh, is that something that USC is going to want him to do uh, this upcoming season, as his role is expected to grow? So they just want to f- have him focus more purely on becoming that receiver, like you said, and maybe even working working him outside a little bit. Um, on my notes for him, one thing that I have because uh, Keyshawn Johnson to me was just one of the most intriguing wide receivers that uh, I have seen come through the NFL. And I noticed that he's on pace to go ahead and pass Keyshawn Johnson for receiving yards uh, in the upcoming season. If he has a similar uh, output to what he did last year. And then, like you said, the production as a freshman, he, he was the team uh, leader in receptions as a freshman. And then as a sophomore followed it up with over a thousand yards. So the production's there, if you're going to go ahead and you're going to, uh, look at the size. He's somewhere in that 6'1 neighborhood. Uh, if I were to guess, probably right around 195. So the size is there. I'm not going to say that he's Stefan Diggs. But if you're looking for like a physical comparison from like a height-weight type deal thing, uh, that would be someone that I think he comparably is built to. With,
1: yeah, with Amon Rod, the only thing I could see is Drake London. So, I mean, we're talking 2022 and 2023 draft, But Drake London, Kyle Ford, Brew McCoy – are three wide receivers. So Brew was a five-star. Kyle was a 38th best player. So he was basically a five-star. And Drake was a stud as a freshman. So I know for NFL reasons, we'd love to see him on the outside. But you have three outside receivers who are all awesome. And Drake London even produced a lot last year. And they already have Tyler Bonds. So I don't know. I would love to see him on the outside. But I don't know if they just leave him in the slot and let him produce from there and just continue to do that but I could see a larger role. I don't know what's going to happen in terms of punt return, but just as a, just as a whole, they, they have so many wide receivers. I don't see his production being so much higher because Slovis loves Drake London. Bonds is still going to cut into his production. So he might still go under the radar, but his film is just off the charts good in comparison to some of these other receivers who are considered at the top as well.
0: And then the wide receiver that I was going to go ahead and profile real quick is Rico Busey Jr. He's currently an undecided grad transfer. Uh, Spent his undergraduate eligibility at North Texas, 6'2, 193. Um, And if I were going to go ahead and make it easy for people, because his 2019 season was cut short due to a torn ACL, um, to me, he feels like Kenny Stills. Um, He's a tremendous route runner. He's able to find the soft spot in the zone. Uh, he's rumored to have four, four, five speed prior to the knee injury. Um, and he, and he, it looked that way on film prior to the knee injury. Um, he's able to get deep. While he's not like a deep threat, he's able to get deep. Uh, more of a, like I said, a very crisp route runner, excellent route runner. Um, and then some of his rumored landing spots are Nebraska, Miami, and Virginia Tech, as they've all expressed. Uh, adding wide receiver depth. Regardless, he's destined for a Power 5 conference. Um, And then just two interesting things that I have on him right here. In 2018, of balls thrown to him 20 yards past the line of scrimmage, he caught 11 of 30 balls for 371 yards and four touchdowns. Um, But in 2018, that was really – his come-out party, his junior season. Um, And he was being thought of as a top 100 pick potentially uh, going into the 2020 NFL draft before the uh, injury early on in the season. So I know he's well-liked in NFL circles. It'll be interesting to see how he bounces back from uh, the knee injury. To me, Miami seems like a really nice place for him. Uh, They lost Jeff Thomas. They lost K.J. Osborne. Derek King's coming in as quarterback. Lashley's bringing some air raid type of concepts. Uh, North Texas had a wide open uh, passing attack, so I feel like it would be a wonderful transition for him to join the Hurricanes, just something to keep an eye on uh, as we move closer to the season. And with some of these restrictions being lifted uh, when it comes to coronavirus and easing back into some of the, I guess, normal activities that we used to do prior to all this coming about. But you have anything to say No, about yeah, I think
1: you, you covered a lot. And he was someone I was intrigued with last year coming into the season. Him and Mason Fine, mm-hmm. the connection they would have. Unfortunately, that, that wasn't able to happen. I'd love to see him in Miami. I think Derek King um, with that offense, it should be a lot of fun because I've watched a lot of SMU film, and their offense was awesome last year. So in that type of environment with all the media attention that Miami gets – I think it would be smart to go there and they're needing a reliable senior target. Kind of like what KJ Osborne did when he transferred to Miami, another reliable guy Mm -hmm. for the hurricanes to have.
0: Yeah. And it's just so weird seeing the hurricanes become a grad transfer destination. When you think about the likes of Ray Lewis, Ed Reed, Sean Taylor, and all the other players that have come through here, it just shows where the state of Miami football is. Um, Right now, but moving on to tight end, uh, I'm going to go ahead and I'm going to go first because this is one of my favorite players in the entire draft. Um, I've done a bunch of homework on him. I I know things about him that most people would probably find creepy, but in the world of scouting, it's considered perfectly normal. So I'm going to go ahead and I'm going to talk to you about Matt Bushman, tight end from BYU. He's checking in at 65245 on the BYU website Uh, He's been over 500 yards as a freshman, sophomore, and junior in the BYU offense. Served a religious mission in Chile. He's married to a former BYU volleyball player, Emily Lewis, and her father is Chad Lewis, a former three-time Pro Bowl tight end and Super Bowl champ with the Rams. Bushman also played baseball at BYU in 2017. He's a playmaker in the passing game. He offers a good target area for a quarterback, has a nice catch radius, and he's effective when high-pointing. One thing I noticed is he really loves to make the back shoulder play. He was exposed to a lot of different blocking schemes and blocking tasks with the BYU playbook. But it doesn't necessarily mean that he's a dominant blocker at this point of his career. It just means that he, um, from a football IQ and a technical standpoint, he understands the assignment. He understands body positioning. He understands cutting off lanes. He just isn't that big nasty dude. That's going to be able to fight in a phone booth with, with guys on the edge, but more than capable all around tight end. He's my favorite tight end uh, in this year's draft class. I'm not sure if you have any thoughts on on Matt Bushman, but Bushman,
1: I think was one of those guys even last year had had decent amount of hype behind him. So he, I don't, like, he's, in my opinion, he's going to be a top 75 guy, 100%. It just depends on how high because of this. He probably is, and I'll want your opinion on this, but based off of last year's class, do you think he's, num- would have been number one had he, like, he been in last year's class?
0: Oh, oh, you're talking yeah. about with, like, Troutman and Hunter Bryant, Uh, yeah, I, I actually, when I was going through and I was putting together my initial like rankings and looking at different things, I I actually thought that he was going to declare for, uh, the draft, um, for some of the different reasons that I mentioned being, uh, being married, uh, having served the religious mission. So he's a little bit older, a little bit more mature. So I thought that he was going to make that step. Uh, do I think he could have been tight end one? I do. I do think that he would have been tight end one, um, It's one of those things that we'll never know now. Uh, I do like how he is able to cover ground as a runner. He's not like one of these fast, twitchy tight ends, but he just has some really long legs, man, and they just eat up grass. So um, he's a strider. I I like that. Yeah, Matt,
1: I think, is awesome. I think he is probably competing for tight end four, which pretty much anyone would be in next year's class when you think about Pitt's Jordan, and and then Fryermuth, So he's right up there. And I really like his tape. And I just think he's going to be a solid NFL player. I don't think he's going to be – he doesn't have the potential that the other three have. But I really liked his film, and I enjoyed him mm-hmm. when I watched uh, Zach Wilson, um, their BYU quarterback. For me at tight end, mm-hmm. I'll go with Zach Davidson, the Division two tight end, Central Missouri. I just mm-hmm. think – I was going to put Dalton Kincaid, the tight end from um, – San Diego, but he's only a junior, so he'll be on the lookout for 2022. I don't think um, at the FCS level he'll declare. But Zach Davidson from Central Missouri, six foot seven, elite level punter, who also is a really good tight end as well. He, mm-hmm. fit, I believe, 15 touchdowns last season. When I spoke to him, really mature guy, understands where he's at and what he needs to do to make it at the next level. And when you have that type of size, that type of production, and versatility, someone who wasn't highly recruited out of high school, but way he's able been able to develop because he wasn't considered really a tight end. He never expected to play tight end. And then he comes in and they're like all right, this kid's pretty good. And then he really showed them that he was really good because he had 15 touchdowns last season. So Zach is one of those guys who I think you have to look at him because of his size already. And though less and less players at the Division II level are getting drafted, he'd be someone who definitely needs to get a look. And in in that range of rounds five to seven, he's someone I'd definitely be considering.
0: Oh, yeah, no, absolutely. Like you said, you touched on some of the versatility. When you look at his career punting average, punt per average, uh, it's north of 40 yards. Uh, he's been recognized as an all-conference punter. I believe that he was like an honorable mention uh, All-American punter as a freshman. The kid's got an unbelievable leg. Um, and then, like you said, he caught 40 passes for almost 900 yards. So those are big plays, like you said, for someone that's six, seven. Um, a big dude. And even when you look at some of this film, I noticed that there were even some designed runs for him Um, almost like a jet sweep from the tight end position. Some little, like just very uh, creative ways to get him manufactured touches and keep him in the game. Because like you said, um, there's less and less players from the small schools getting drafted, but he's someone that absolutely has to be, on a team's board, not only now, but has to be a true consideration. You know, when we get to this point next year, and we're looking, like you said, rounds five through seven, um, and even you have to consider the, the position versatility. Could you try and make him a two for one? Could he be a, a reserve tight end? And could he be a reserve punter? Like, could he fill multiple spots for a team and contribute on special teams early on? Um because he's certainly athletic enough to contribute in the special teams game. I just don't necessarily know how that all translates um, because if you're punting, you can't be covering punts. So uh, I think a team's going to have to have a very specific plan for him because of that position versatility. I think that he is a legit candidate to not only be brought in as a tight end, but I think a team might bring him in uh, for his punting. Abilities I, the only too. thing is
1: I can't talk about, His punting ability, because I haven't haven't watched any film on it, and I wouldn't say I have any idea Mm -hmm. on how to evaluate punters. It's just one of those things I've never gotten in-depth on. But I think for him, if you can get a two-for-one, that would be huge, especially because he hasn't played tight end all that often. He's still young at the position Mm -hmm. and at that size. You hope you can develop as as a tight end, and he can punt. So he can be someone who I definitely have on my radar because – of what he's able to bring. And if I'm a position coach at tight end, I'm like really want this guy. Cause I think I can work with him and turn him into
0: a legit guy. Oh, no, absolutely. I think the, the, the tools are there physically, like you said, um, you, you literally could not go into a lab and create a better looking prospect for the tight end position. Um, so there's definitely going to be teams and conversations around the league about like, this is what I can do with him. Now, do you have a certain team in mind that you think he would fit best with, or do you think there's a certain scheme in particular that would? Uh, so
1: right now, I would love to have him as pair him with a, a, a established tight end. I think that's what his goal, and it's all potential right now because Central Missouri film is one of those things where he's not going up against. Great competition as a whole. He's still young for the position, so it's going to take him a while. But I love him. A vertical team wants to stretch the field, and with his size, and I'm—I don't know exactly—and you might be able to tell me speed-wise, but from what I have seen on film, he looks faster than the rest of the guys he's going up against. And you talked about that in terms of catches and turning them into positive yards. So, I mean, you want to talk about someone who is incredible in terms of what he's able to do against Missouri Western, five receptions, 225 yards and three touchdowns, an 80 yard reception. This guy can flat out fly when he has the ball in his hands. he's going to do great things. So I think like, don't have him. He's not going to be a great blocker. That's just not going to be him. So don't have him in one of these West coast schemes. That's going to have dink and dunk and just use these tight ends. I think like, similar to like a Hayden Hurst type of tight end. Don't use him in those types of roles where he's going to be having a lot of receptions for not a lot of yards. If you have a gunslinger, I mean, I'd love to just see him paired with Travis Kelsey if you want to talk about for fantasy purposes and just having a quarterback like Patrick Mm -hmm. Mahomes who can do a lot. A team like that that has a quarterback that wants to stretch the field, wants to use his ability to have – I mean, it's ridiculous. I mean, seven receptions, 176 yards, four touchdowns, and along a 78 against – I mean, it's just – I mean, you go through his statistics and – it's mind-boggling what he was able to produce, and I know there's always going to be. It was at that level, but there are tight ends who. I, I mean, Adam Shaheen was a guy a few years ago who was a smaller school player, and I, he wasn't getting five for two twenty-five and three touchdowns. So one of these roles splits out the tight end, uses him vertical, his receiving ability. In terms of punting, I don't know what he'll be able to be used for but as a receiver. I just think that <laughs> you don't have that type of production so early on in your career at a position and not be considered because, I mean, 2017 didn't, didn't play tight end really at all. I mean, so he's played tight end for two years and he's been able to produce the way he has. I think this, the ceiling is, is off the charts for him. And I think what I would want to see him, I know I've touched on a lot, vertical offense, one that wants to stretch the field, use his size as well
0: as his speed. Oh, definitely. And like you said, um, with him and his athleticism, I wrote something for NFL Draft Diamonds uh, a little bit ago with some names to remember, and he was the tight end that I had for the offensive side. And I'll read you the last two or three sentences that I have. It says, when watching small school prospects, you want them to jump out at you, and Davidson certainly does that. He has unparalleled athleticism, and he is used on design runs from the, quote, tight end position. He has good vision with the ball in his hands and accelerate accelerates away from DBs on film. So to your point, the speed, he, he really is just like a unicorn. And it's too bad that he's going to be fighting the Division II questions, um, you know, for however long. But you look at the 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 Patriots and what they did in the second round with taking uh, Kyle Duggar's second round DB from a Division II school, maybe there is some sort of hope for these elite athletes and the guys that really are jumping off the film. That you exactly. Cause that's schools. the
1: main thing. What separated Jeremy chin and Kyle Duggar, right? when you look at their athletic scores, they were off the charts. So you have that already. So you already know you're getting an elite athlete and Duggar to me in comparison, when we talk about guys who stand out on film, this was just my opinion. But if you told me that kid, like if I didn't know who he was and I interviewed him, awesome guy, Really hope he succeeds in the, in the NFL, and I think he has a chance to because of the trades. I, you said this is Division Two school. Tell me who's the second round pick. It wouldn't be oh right away that guy's the second round pick. When you talk about Davidson, if you said who's the NFL caliber player, he stands out right away.
0: Exactly. You you want to have that guy that jumps out immediately. That way you know that you're looking at the right thing. Your eyes aren't playing, uh, playing tricks on you, um, as sometimes they can. And what I like to say is uh, sometimes, sometimes we drink bad coffee in the morning, and it affects the way that we look at players when we watch the film. So we try to limit those bad coffee days because I know um, that I, I've had them, and specifically um, with someone that you brought up earlier, Chase Garbers, the first time I watched his film. I actually didn't like it too much. When I went back a second time, I felt a little bit better. I'm going to go back a third time and watch it just because I have some more uh, questions. So that's a bad coffee day, and that's an example of a bad coffee day in film for everyone. So there's a bonus vocab term. Now, uh, we'll go ahead. We'll slide over to the offensive line. Um, I'll let you go ahead. I'll let you go first. Because I was a cheater, cheater, pumpkin eater, and my <laughs> offensive lineman is Pinai Sewell. So <laughs> we'll go ahead. We'll flip it over to Yeah, you. so in the big obviously
1: I won't touch too much on Sewell because we, we know he's a stud. But my guys, so when I evaluated offensive tackles, I tried to look at 20-ish set uh, seniors and then some underclassmen, 10 to 15 guys, underclassmen who I thought had a good shot of declaring. And a guy who stood out to me on film, senior Landon Young from Kentucky, was a player who five-star recruit, mm-hmm. uh, four to five-star, I believe he was ranked 78. So four-star recruit coming out, number one player in Kentucky, had a lot of offers from around the country, a lot of interest. What I spoke to him about was that idea. He just wanted to stay in Kentucky. Now he's from Kentucky. He, that was the school. So when we think about top-tier offensive linemen, you more look at the Alabamas, Georgias, big-time schools like that, which he could have gone to and probably would be starting at this point at either one of them. But with Landon Young, for me, his footwork, awesome. His power is good enough. He doesn't give up sacks. I think that's the first thing I look up. When you're going up against top-tier teams, and I know what the only issue I have with his film, and part of it, First off, injury. So he injured his um, knee towards ACL his junior season. So like his normal junior season. Then that's a red shirt. So now he's a red shirt senior. So had the injury, comes back, and then last season as a red shirt junior, they didn't. You they didn't really pass much of the season I mean, to Bowden. It was a run heavy. Wasn't a traditional drop back quarterback where you get to see. Him in pass pro sets going up against these top tier edge rushers in the SEC. One game though, Florida, we saw them normal normal before they went to Bowden at quarterback. And he looked awesome against Grenard and Zuniga. And I know Grenard looked really good against a lot of tackles last season. He smoked a lot of them that I watched, and Landon Young consistently, he was going nowhere. So I really think that he's a guy. I I know I keep coming with second-round grades, mid-second on Landon Young. He's my number-two-ranked senior offensive tackle right now behind Liam Eichenberg in a class that I think is totally overrated. And granted, I could be wrong, but I feel like a lot of these draft sites, like I I project Leatherwood more as a guard, but I think that his tape has a lot of question marks. Walker Little would be mostly based on traits because he got beat a lot on his sophomore film. So I think Landon Young in a weak offensive tackle class, he's my guy who I think could rise. He's athletic, really good film, has the pedigree as a high recruit, and is going – up. even though Kentucky, it doesn't matter what team you're on if you're a four-star recruit and you're going up against Florida's and Georgia's and teams of that nature.
0: Oh, I couldn't agree more. Uh, and and- – Kentucky football is on the come up. When you look at where they were and where they are now, uh, Josh Allen getting selected high in the first round by Jacksonville. And then this year, following it up with Lynn Bowden, who you mentioned literally was returning kicks and then taking snaps as the quarterback for the Kentucky Wildcats this season. Uh They made do with what they had. And uh, Landon Young, like you said, he, he's a monster. He's six, seven in that three twenty ish range. Um, he, He showed that 320-ish a lot this year on film in the run game. But like you mentioned, before they transitioned to that run-heavy, basically all-Wildcat offense, we got to see him in in some more traditional type of offensive schemes and sets throughout the course of the game, which allowed us to see him in pass protection and how he handled pretty good um, SEC edge rushers. So that really did help us out. Um, I do want to see, though, this season with him – the question that I want to see is you brought up the injury, and for me um it was back in twenty eighteen so for me, it's not the twenty nineteen season that has me worried about the injury it's this season that has me worried about the injury um I broke my knee in high school, I literally broke my knee playing basketball, and uh my sophomore year played football, basketball, I did whatever. My junior year, though, that thing, it was so painful. So for me, with, with guys, when they come back from injuries, especially leg injuries, it's not so much that year one that I want to see, it's that year two. How how are you holding up after a year of wear and tear? Because when you go through the, those rehab procedures, you can kind of cater it to manipulate how much wear and tear you're putting on, on the body. Um, so I really want to see that now, how he's – going to hold up with, you know, uh, all the off-season training. No, you know, I think that's a,
1: those the personal – level. like, I, I've i never had a knee injury like that playing sports, so I can't say whether or not. But I think that's a good point that you bring up because sometimes you think, oh, injuries with the science we have nowadays, that he'll just be fine. I think there's always going to be some concern. But I just – and I want to get your opinion on this because I know you're going to talk about it so well. But just the senior offensive tackle class – I, an offensive tackle class as a whole, I think outside of Sewell and a few other guys, I think it's a lot worse than last year. I just want to get your opinion on the offensive tackle class.
0: That's exactly where I was going to go with uh, Penai Sewell. Su- uh, Su- um, I was going to say he's getting the generational label. This tackle class is being dubbed as very strong. I've seen people call it generational. I've seen – people just very high on this offensive tackle class. And while there are offensive tackles to like, I don't necessarily know if I'm on board with that. And, And even the term generational in the scouting, I guess, realm can be very dangerous because what is generational? You look at the generational type of players that they're using that term for right now. And that's why I picked Sewell is because he's being dubbed as you know the, the best offensive tackle prospect since uh, uh, long in 2008 out of Michigan, or depending on who you talk to. I mean, you, you can go back, but people are saying he's the best tackle since basically since sliced bread. And for me, I always wonder about these players that have that almost overnight growth. Like you said, everyone knew that he was good. Everyone knew he was solid. No one denied the fact that he was an All-American this year for Oregon. But now for it to be, uh, you know, like he's the clear-cut one, Trevor Lawrence is now like going to get picked third, like and just all these things and just how it's happened so quickly, it makes you wonder when players have this, you know, such a high rise, are we missing something? Has the Oregon team just found the perfect system for him? Mario Cristobal is one of the best offensive line coaches in the country. But then again, he's also said that Sewell's the best offensive lineman he's ever coached. So for this class, I think it's a little overhyped. I think there is talent. Um, I don't think it's like watered down, good luck finding something. I think it's a, average to above average tackle class with a couple of really strong players at the top. It's a top heavy yeah, tackle with, class. With
1: generational guys, I think when when we look at who's been generational talents, so it's very few often like very few times where we know Jake Long, I mean, Jake Longson was never a generation like generational tackles and generational players as a whole like Aaron Rodgers, you could say was generational. He was Drafted in the 20s. You talk about who ends up being generational and first picks in general. I mean, you brought up Keyshawn Johnson and how amazing he was, and he was the first pick and he didn't have that career. So I'm, I'm always, I think when we talk about quarterbacks mm-hmm. like Trevor Lawrence, he's the best player, in my opinion, at the quarterback position by a wide, wide margin. And could he be considered the best quarterback prospect? Said Andrew Luck, yes, but the, I think generational. We talked about Chase Young last year being generation, uh, generational talent for the 2020 draft. And you go back a few years, it was mm-hmm. Clowney was generational, and Miles Garrett was generational. So, and none of them have been generational. Miles Garrett's a really good pass rusher, and Clowney, I mean, he hasn't even been signed yet, so no one wants to give him 18 million dollars a year. So we have all these generational prod. Um, product at the collegiate level. Most of them don't turn out to be. But too so, well, like I watched his film and he, there were times where he struggled with Bradley and like, I think he definitely won that matchup, but it wasn't like he's going there and he's pancaking the dude almost on every play and creating a situation where ane who dominated other, um, offensive tackles in the PAC 12 wasn't having some success. So I think I watched his USC film as well. And there were times he's not the perfect prospect. he, is the best offensive tackle prospect I have ever watched. But to consider him to be a future Hall of Famer before he plays, I think year in and year out, we get a lot of generational talent. I'm not going to sit here and say Trevor Lawrence is, but I will say about what this draft has. It has a Micah Parsons. It has a Trevor Lawrence. It has a Sewell from Oregon. And you have a few guys who are the best players in this year's draft. By a wide margin and have trans- chances to be all-pro players, but looking at the history of generational talents, most of them haven't been first overall picks, and we see that a lot. You look at the wide receiver position. There's a lot. Antonio Brown. You could argue is one of the best receivers of all time. Who was not drafted before day three. So I'm always concerned. I mean, Rob Gronkowski was a second-round pick. You can say he's generational. But as a whole, I think we kind of throw that term around for every single draft for a few guys, and it never ends up being that way. We always see other guys who end up emerging as those types of players because of the team they went
0: to and things of that nature. Oh, and I'm with you. And I think part of the, I guess, the the love with Sewell is he he's not even going to be 20 until October. So he's still 19. Um, and one thing that I found interesting, a little interesting fact, was he's the first Oregon player – or, excuse me, he's the only Oregon player besides LeMichael James and Marcus Mariota to be a unanimous first team all American. He, he,
1: he is one of those players who I think is an absolute side. He's one – I mean, there was one play against Utah where – they had him roll out for a pass. So they to him in one of these types of plays. We sometimes see mm-hmm. it um, every now and then. I think a, a, a big example would be Colts-Patriots-AFC Championship game where you do the trickery and then you have Nate Solder who rolled out and they threw him a touchdown pass. And you get that. He didn't score on the play, but he hit the cornerback with a cut that was a wide receiver. <laughs> like I was like, <laughs> he's got footwork that is Incredible. His mm-hmm. feet move at a different level than any tackle I've ever seen. The way he recovers is incredible. And it's it's amazing to see. And with this Oregon tackle group, don't get me wrong last year was great, but how many of them ended up being drafted very high? I know Shay Lemieux is ranked decently high coming into the season. He was a day through pick. Jake Hansen was drafted. Mm-hmm. Calvin Throckmorton wasn't where we thought he'd be. You have a lot of players on the offensive line, who and they're a great group. But there it's it's a little early to sit here and say that he is generational. But I'd find it hard to pass up on him if I, outside of Trevor Lawrence, I think he's a second player taken regardless of position. Mm-hmm.
0: And I have on here speaking of the feet unique but solid combination of size, speed, feed, and length. So it's funny how you you brought up the feet because I thought his feet were were really, really solid too. And I'm not saying that he doesn't deserve to be a top pick. I was just wondering, I was just curious from your perspective if you thought the generational label was fair or not. Um, So that's what we came up with for the offensive line. Uh Sewell and Young. And then we'll go ahead. We'll give you a name to remember, a sleeper, someone that you may not have heard of, but you probably will. So uh I can go ahead and I can give you that prospect to remember right now. Mine is running back Jaquan Hardy from Tiffin. He's a Division two standout. His running style combines quickness and a powerful presence behind his pads. Um, I was listening to something not too long ago, where someone threw out a Devontae Freeman uh, running style comparison for him. He's listed at 5'10", 225. Uh, He had an injury in 2018, um, but he came back in 2019 with over 1,500 yards, 15 touchdowns. um, And he's just a deep sleeper for me. He's a shifty back. He's got good speed. He can cut, catches the ball out of the backfield, good burst. But, again, much like we said with Zach Davidson from the Division II level, he's going to have to face the, the level of competition question um, more often than not. But he is a solid player. There's the injury history. Uh, there's the level of competition. So there's just a couple of things to keep in mind with him uh, moving forward as you go through the 2021 draft. But if you're looking for a small school, small school stud sleeper, Jaquan you is your guy. This,
1: um- one where we talked about it, choosing an under-the-radar sleeper guy. It was tough because I, I thought of a bunch of names. Um, one I want to throw out quickly before I say the guy, Tommy Doyle, the offensive tackle from Miami of Ohio. I wanted to mention him. I think he's the best player in the MAC mm-hmm. by a wide margin. I see him as a day-two offensive tackle. Well I have Young a little bit ahead of him, so I just put him as my guy. But I think Doyle, at his size, he's going to be a, a, a really good pr- prospect for next year. My guy, though – And UAB needs to get more attention as one of these teams, Conference USA, that I think is going to be on the rise in terms of NFL talent for the future. They've got a lot of really talented defensive players. Offensively, Austin Watkins, wide receiver, who relative of Sammy Watkins, is someone who I think – Has a really good shot of becoming one of the better players that we see next season. I I know Tyler Johnson is one of the better quarterbacks at the collegiate level as of now. And what I see with Austin, so what makes it when you look at a school like UAB and these smaller schools, you want something a little bit different that justifies why they were available, why they're at these schools. So when you talk about did he transfer, were there academic issues, did he grow a lot, what happened? So Austin, under-recruited, goes to a um, community college, then transfers to UAB. First season, seven receptions, 82 yards, nothing special. But at his size, 6'3", 205, he explodes last season. 57 receptions, 1,000 yards, six touchdowns. We talk about competition, the best you're going to face, Appalachian State, 10 receptions, 159 yards, and a touchdown he he really progressed over the course of the season i think we saw a guy who's going to be one of those players who i just don't know how highly ranked he'll be because the school is starting to matter more and more and i think with teams not being able to because of this coronavirus if there is no college football season i think this is going to have a huge effect on where players go and in the draft and I think it will have an even bigger effect in comparison to the 2020 draft, but he's my guy. I think at his size with what he is able to do last season coming onto the scene as probably the best wide receiver in his conference, I think the, the ceiling and especially what he did on film, we could be looking at a 12 to 15 touchdown guy 1,500 yards and someone who explodes onto the scene as one of these. Because I've watched a lot of wide receivers, and I think there's a little bit of a drop. I think you have your top-tier players. And then I've watched some guys like Sage Chirot, Chris Olave, just to name a few, Tylen Wallace, who really didn't impress me on film. And so there's been a little bit of a gap when watching these high-end prospects. To These other guys who are considered there Who I think are more day three players And I think Austin Watkins could put himself In the conversation With some of these other really good receivers Based on what I saw in film
0: Yeah and, and like you said he, he really had his coming out party Against Appalachian State They were in the top 25 in the New Orleans Bowl uh, Like you said uh, The 10 catch 150 plus yard gain um, the, the thing that I think is interesting is he's from Florida. And when you look at these Florida athletes, they always have a way of finding their way to, to poke through. And it's always funny to hear when players are under-recruited out of the state of Florida, and then they have to go to community college or or whatever the situation is, because that's just way too often the case um, in Florida when, when teams are coming down here and recruiting, um, and one story that I like to use with people just to let them know of the level of talent that is in the state of Florida, Dominique Rogers Cromarty was found because a coach from Tennessee state made the wrong turn off the highway and ended up at his high school, at his high school game, had no idea who anyone was, had no notes, didn't know who he's going looking for. The coach said, it's a high school game. I got to watch something. And that's how DRC was found. Um, and there's a million of other, you know, uh, examples like that. But I just think it's funny how we're talking about, yet again, another under-recruited, very athletic, highly productive uh, football player that's looking to make some noise, uh, ending his college career, and turning into an uh, NFL player. And one thing, too, the bloodlines. That's going to help him out a lot. Anytime you can go through something and there's that intrigue, oh, that's Sammy's cousin. It's going to help you out a lot, especially with the big season that he had. Uh, teams always love bloodlines. At uh, least on uh, the off. He
1: have a brother, I have a cousin in the league. Sammy Watkins, you know hasn't had the career everyone expected him to, but mm-hmm. he, he's an NFL caliber player, and I think Austin is as well.
0: Oh, definitely, and like you said, UAB, uh, it, it's a program that that's really coming back. They they were um, essentially in football purgatory. The the program was uh done with for a, a, a while and then they brought it back Garrett Marino signed as an undrafted free agent this year with the Dallas Cowboys you're looking right here at Austin Watkins who's you know definitely up in his chances at getting drafted in the upcoming draft so like Jack said UAB a football program on the run uh, I think the Jack, one thing I will say get out
1: of here where where I'm at is you evaluate these prospects trying to think all right where do they project like at the next level what do i see them doing next season it's just weird to think there's a good shot we don't so this is the only tape we're going to be having so we could have the most unique season in college football history or the most unique draft because there's a chance that there is no college football it could be a unique season where certain teams are playing and certain teams are not who knows what's going to happen it's going to be one of those things where it's all up in the air. So this could be the only film we have on certain guys. So we're going to see a lot of new things happen and it's going to be, I wouldn't say fun because this is all crazy and no one wants it, but it's going to be the most interesting season of sports that we ever have.
0: Oh, I I couldn't agree with you more. Just the uncertainty that we're going through right now and, will there be football? Will there be, uh, you know, a a full field of teams? Cause the, uh, the college system in California has already said that come the fall, they don't plan on resuming, um, uh, normally back to full operations. So that leaves, you know, the, the colleges in California and those athletes, you know, up in the air, as far as what they're going to do for film and, uh, where they stand. So definitely something to keep tuned to. And, uh, this was part one. Jack and I will be back at an undetermined time to bring you some defensive prospects that we think you should be aware of. So I'm Craig Forstall. He's Jack Borowski. And this was us going over some 2021 NFL Draft Prospects. Hey, everybody. Craig Forstall. Thanks for tuning in and listening to another episode of That Sports Guy's podcast. Make sure to follow me on Twitter at that underscore sports underscore guy to catch all the latest updates and podcast episodes. Until next time, stay safe and be easy.